Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The global monkeypox outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern. Meanwhile, Spain announced a second death from monkeypox. These monkeypox vaccines that have been purchased are being delivered now. Welcome to EU Confidential, Europe's number one politics podcast. I'm Samuel Stolton, and I cover European competition and tech policy here in Brussels. And on the tech front, later in the podcast, you're going to hear a lively debate about the biggest tech lobbying battle brewing here in the EU capital, whether platform giants like Google, Meta, Netflix and Amazon should have to pay the telecoms industry for the infrastructure they need to build. Ethnoa, they're pointing out sort of a handful of US companies saying they should pay, but not others. That is, by definition, discriminatory. It's illegal to do that. So how could we do that if it's illegal to do that? So why are you calling Already for it? today, since 2015. We'll debate that in just a few minutes. But first, as you heard at the start of this episode, monkeypox continues to spread globally and particularly throughout Europe. In today's episode, we're going to tell you where things stand with the virus in Europe and whether the EU is prepared to handle this outbreak. So let's get straight into that conversation now with our healthcare reporter, Helen Collis. Hi, Helen. Hi, Sam. So let's jump straight into it then. Perhaps you could tell us a bit more generally about what monkeypox actually is and where in Europe are we seeing cases spread and among which populations in particular? So currently we're seeing most of the infections among men who have sex with men. So that's 98% of cases across the EU region at the moment. But that doesn't mean that others are not at risk. At the moment, we're seeing it mostly um, spread through close, intimate contact in these communities. And so as a result of that, we're seeing it in big metropolitan communities. So um, the latest figures we had were on um, Monday from the ECDC. Spain, we had 4,000, nearly 4,300 cases. Germany, two and a half thousand cases, just a bit over. France, over 2,000 cases. So cases are spreading quickly among these communities. And the infection itself causes fever. Some people have reported very swollen lymph nodes. And as the description of the disease um, implies, you get some spots. um, And these are predominantly found in the genital area among cases in Europe. These can develop and multiply and they can develop into what look a bit like ulcers. And they can be really quite painful. So I think about 3% 
of cases we've seen in Europe so far have been hospitalised. And I think that's mostly for pain management. And unfortunately, as reported over the weekend, we've now seen our first deaths in the European region. We've had two cases who have died in the Spanish region, but we don't know any more details about those cases. Right. So we are seeing mortalities from this disease now on European shores. What exactly could the EU do in response to increasing transmission rates of monkeypox? And what is the role that Brussels can play here, if any at all? Sure. Well, I mean, Healthcare itself isn't an EU competency. How countries decide to care for and manage and prevent and treat their patients is up to each country. From the European Commission's perspective, we've seen Health Commissioner Stella Kyriakides write to the European member states and urging them to um, step up their responses. Um, So she's been urging them to increase their surveillance efforts, to share data quickly with each other and with the ECDC the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control, um, to prepare laboratories to deal with samples and diagnoses, raising awareness among healthcare professionals and among the communities that are most affected as well. And she speaks of things like uh, that we're all familiar now with um, contact tracing, isolation and infection prevention measures more broadly. Um, So aside from calling on countries to do these things effectively, the EU's powers are limited. But what the EU can do is step in and buy vaccines and treatments for the block. It's already done that. It's bought a fairly small number of vaccines for the block. It's bought 163,000 doses of Bavarian Nordic's uh, monkeypox vaccine. But just to put that into context, the UK bought 130,000 doses early on and France has bilaterally bought 250,000 doses. So it kind of pales in comparison to some of the member states' orders. We are expecting Europe to place a much bigger order for the block. Um, it's told us that they are entering into discussions with the manufacturer on for joint procurement. When that will happen, we don't know. It's also trying to buy the only authorised treatment for monkeypox, which is an antiviral called Tecoviramat. We've spoken with the manufacturers of both the vaccine and the antiviral, and both of them have expressed um, frustrations about the slowness of these talks. Right. And bearing in mind the relatively exiguous quantity of doses of the vaccine that the EU has purchased so far, are you confident that the EU has indeed learnt its lessons from the COVID pandemic? Well, there are some questions to be answered around HERA, which is the Health Emergency Preparedness and Response Authority. Now, this authority is um, it's in effect a division of the European Commission, um, and it was actually set up in response to the COVID pandemic. It was formed in October last year, but the head of the agency, Pierre Delso, was appointed in December. So it hasn't actually been running that long, Um, but it is responsible for two things, really. It's responsible for preparing for the future and any health threats that Europe might face, and also responding quickly in a crisis. Unfortunately, we've got two healthcare crises now across the world. We've got COVID and now monkeypox. So there are big demands being placed on HERA. But at the moment, we haven't got any joint procurement under the mechanism used by HERA to buy vaccines or antivirals for monkeypox. And we don't know how long that process might take. Secondly, just to put this into context, HERA has been in talks with the companies that made new antivirals for covid It took over that work from the European Commission when it was formed last autumn, um, and yet we still have not got any EU contracts in place for the new antivirals like Paxlovid or Molnupiravir. 
So it's looking like this process of procuring things in an emergency has some problems. Um, The European Commission just told me that they're going to review the process of how they jointly procure vaccines and treatments for the block. So it's a real back and forth process at the moment with HERA, the Commission, member states and the companies involved and trying to find that agreement um, is taking a long time. And so it implies to me that you know, if they're going to review it, then perhaps this isn't really fast enough in an emergency. So there you go. A bit of news there direct from Brussels. The EU is reviewing its mechanism for vaccine procurement. Helen Collis, our health reporter, thank you very much indeed for joining us here at EU Confidential. Thanks, Sam. And before we get to our big Brussels lobbying battle, a quick note about the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this summer series of episodes featuring various reporters such as myself hosting the podcast over the past weeks. We're going to be taking a break for a summer holiday, but starting in September, EU Confidential will have a new host. Enter Suzanne Lynch, currently the co-author of Politico's Brussels Playbook, who will take the helm of EU Confidential going forward. So do be sure to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening, so that you can meet Suzanne and the new podcast crew and continue to get every episode immediately when it lands in your feed. We'll be right back just after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Two of Brussels' most powerful lobbying machines are preparing to square off. It's a battle royale between big telecoms and big tech, and it's set to become one of the most heated policy debates in Europe over the coming months and potentially years. Yes, they're arguing over plans that the European Commission may come forth with in the future, which could potentially force big tech companies like Meta and Google to fork out billions of euros to telecoms operators like Deutsche Telekom or Orange. Now, in just a few minutes, you are going to hear a debate from the two leading lobbyists in Brussels representing both sides, as well as representatives of small businesses and civil society. But to help us understand who's involved and what's at stake, I'm very pleased to be joined by Politico's chief policy correspondent, Sarah Wheaton, and tuning in from London, we're also pleased to have with us our chief technology correspondent, Mark Scott. Hello to you both. Hi, Sam. Good to be here. 
Mark, perhaps we could start with you and maybe you could give us an insight into where this debate has come from and why we are talking about it now. Is there a market failure in the telecommunications industry that needs to be fixed, in your opinion? So this debate goes back almost a decade plus, right? And it comes down to who makes money from how we use our smartphones. The telecom players who actually build the infrastructure and own the pieces of kit in the ground think they should have the money because they're the ones making the investment. The companies like Netflix or Google think they should make the cash because they're the ones who actually provide services that we all want to, to use. No one goes onto their smartphone to sort of see what Deutsche Telekom has to say. They want to go see the latest Netflix movie. And, and so it comes down to we all are using our smartphones more and more. And therefore, as you know, a lot of money can be made from that, do the telecom operators take that or do they become so-called dumb pipes and provide just the infrastructure and Google and the others and Facebook, et cetera, should rein in all the cash. To your question about market failure, a market failure could be that, you know, those who are building these networks aren't making much money. We've had some earnings from Orange, the French telecom operator, for example, and they're doing okay, but it's not Amazon money by any means. But it, you could also suggest this is how the market should work to play the other side, because yes, I know Deutsche Telekom or Vodafone isn't making sort of mega bucks like the Silicon Valley players are, but they are also providing infrastructure. And in the infrastructure world, you don't make that much cash. So it really comes down to, from a telecom operator perspective, yes, there's a market failure because they're not making much money, but they are still profitable in many regards. From the other perspective, you know, from Silicon Valley, people are using their smartphones not because they want to have a super fast connection. They want it because that connection allows them to use services that don't come from Europe, they come from primarily the US. Mm. And Sarah, this debate in Brussels, at least at the moment, has opened quite a fierce lobbying battle. Who are the main voices involved and what tactics have you noticed in the fight for lobbying supremacy so far? All right, so we have a clash of titans with very technical sounding names. On one side of the ring is the European Telecommunications Network Operators, or ETNO for short, they are, as they say, the telecoms, your Oranges, uh, your Deutsche Telekom, your Proximus, if you are uh, here in Belgium, like Sam and I. And they are the ones who are pushing this idea of a fair share contribution. And that is very important terminology for them, who can be opposed to everybody making their fair share contribution. Pretty straightforward. And they're saying companies like Netflix, like YouTube, they're using up a lot of data and so they should pay more to these telecoms to process that data and send it to users. On the other side of the ring is CCIA. They are the Computer and Communication Industry Association. And that is a long word for big tech, can put big American tech in parentheses there. And we're going to see them lean hard on the net neutrality frame that can, of course, be debatable, but that's what they're going to say is that the internet is the internet and it shouldn't matter if consumers are demanding certain data, like it shouldn't matter whether it's from big companies or from little companies, it should all be the same. That's a fight that they won in the past in the U.S. and we can already see them recruiting or building the same team that they did as far as teaming up with uh, civil liberties and consumer NGOs. Uh, some of those have already written a letter to the commissioners who are relevant to this saying, we don't like this idea of an internet tax. That is the other kind of key terminology that you could listen for from the big tech side. Mark, we've had some pretty clear statements 
from the Commission, particularly emanating from the Office of Internal Market Chief Thierry Breton. What are the politics behind these plans and how influential will that dimension of things become in the forthcoming debate? I mean, with everything to do with the Commission, it's political, right? So uh, Thierry Breton is a former CEO of Orange, the uh, former French telecom monopoly, now privately owned. And he is a, a big advocate for slapping big tech around when he can, frankly, for his own political reasons. Uh, so there is that element. I, I think I have to say I have to disagree with Sarah, unfortunately, on, on that one, mostly because I think I would associate this more with the fight we had over the recent copyright directive, which is the ability of publishers to eke out more money from big tech when their content appears online. I, I think that's the way this is going to go. And the telecom players, particularly those who were formerly state-owned, like Deutsche Telekom and Orange, they have direct access to the main players, both in Brussels and in national capitals. And therefore, I think, although big tech will try and then go directly to the consumers, they frankly don't matter in this fight. It really comes down to what national governments think and believe. And if, you know, I'm sitting in Berlin and Deutsche Telekom's lobbyist comes and knocks on my door and says, you know, I don't think, you know, Amazon's paying its way. I think that will have greater sway than Google blasting, you know, on their search results, you know, an internet tax. So I think what it comes down to is, yes, Brussels is important, but the national governments, particularly those who want to make massive multi-billion euro digital infrastructure investments, they're going to be looking at where they can get that money from. And they'll look at the Silicon Valley earnings and profits these companies make and think, well, we want a bit of that. Sarah, the commission, we understand, is likely to open a public consultation on this issue. Where do you see the debate going from here? One big question that um, somebody I was talking to this morning mentioned is, will the U.S. government get involved? Again, it's big American companies that are potentially the ones who would have to pay the most for this. Will Biden weigh in or is he going to keep trying to kind of encourage this partnership, especially in the face of Russia? That's interesting. And Mark, I'd like to bring you in here. Tim Wu, obviously the White House's chief advisor on technology and competition, but also the father of net neutrality. Do you think he could get involved in this debate in the future? So I actually asked someone from the White House about this last week, and they didn't know what I was talking about. So I think as much as I think Tim Wu at a sort of macro level is obviously missing net neutrality, they have their own you know, fights to play. Great. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us here today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sam. Now, let's bring in the different sides of this debate in a panel regrettably dominated by men, but one that we hope will be the first and indeed the last all-male panel on this very engaging subject. Nevertheless, we're delighted to be joined by Alessandro Gropelli from the European Telecommunications Network Operators Association, or ETNO for short. Alessandro's association represents the likes of Deutsche Telekom, Orange and BT. And joining his side of the debate is Jan Niklas Steinhauer, Head of European Policy and Regulatory Affairs at the German broadband association Breco. And they are going up against Christian Borgreen of the Computer and Communications Industry Association, or CCIA for short. His organisation represents the likes of Apple, Google, Meta and Amazon. And Christian is joined by Thomas Lorniger, Executive Director of the digital rights NGO Epicenter.Works, based in Vienna. 
Alessandro, representing the telecommunications industry, this isn't the first time that we've had this debate. And of course, it was last put to bed in 2014 by former Commissioner Neely Crows, who told your companies, and I quote, to adapt or die. So why on earth are we talking about it again now? I think we are talking about this because it's not the same debate and because there are three reasons. The first one is that in January 2022, the European Commission presented this EU Declaration of Digital Rights and Principles, and they put forward this idea that all those who benefit from the internet and from infrastructure should make a fair and proportionate contribution to it. The second reason, I think, is what the European Commission just published uh, this month, which is the Digital Economy and Society Index 2022, in which they confirmed that while we are progressing on digital networks, on 5G and fiber, Europe is lagging behind South Korea or the US because the investment and the rollout are not going as well. And the third reason why I believe we are having this debate is that there might be, as we claim, an imbalance in the market of uh, internet traffic and a regulatory asymmetry in the market of uh, internet traffic. And this is because there is a problem. If not, we wouldn't be discussing this uh, probably. And also, if it were only an exotic idea of Etno, I also think we wouldn't be discussing this today. Mm. And uh, you've already provoked the attention of Christian, obviously representing some of the tech platforms who wants to intervene on this point. And I just want to ask you additionally as well, Christian, you have clearly been given a mandate here in Brussels to fight tooth and nail against any plan to force tech firms to contribute to the costs of communications infrastructure. But it's not an unreasonable request, is it? I mean, if it ever does arise, your services do use a lot of capacity. I mean, it's not totally far-fetched to ask those firms to contribute a bit more money to this infrastructure. The reason why we're having this debate is because European telecom operators are lobbying for it. They have this massive campaign for an internet traffic tax. Basically, they want to be paid twice. They want to be paid twice, first by their own consumers who are already paying very expensive uh, uh, internet packages, and secondly, indirectly, by making online services more expensive. Consumers will have to pay more for the price of their Netflix subscriptions or Spotify subscriptions, and European companies, including SMEs, will have to pay more for their cloud services. So the reason why we have this debate is, frankly, greed. Telcos want to be paid twice. We've had this debate before. There is no new independent evidence showing that this is the answer to telco's solutions. And if I may add, it is surprising when you hear what the European telcos are telling EU lawmakers. Oh, we don't have the funding. Help us out, head in hand. Help us out, intervene so we can make these investments. And what the same telcos are telling their shareholders and telling investors. Vodafone just reported a profit of 2.6 billion euros. Deutsche Telekom 5.9 5.9 billion euros. Telefonica is telling their investors, surging demand for mobile data is a clear driver for future growth in the business. Traffic growth is positive. It just shows that there are more customers for the telcos providers. Okay, thanks, Christian. Um, Jan-Niklas Steinhauer of the German Broadband Association 
doubling the money. Is this all about greed from the telcos or is there a genuine market failure here? I think it's a bit more complex than how it was just described. So it's definitely not just about greed, but um, the simple fact of the matter is that building fiber networks as our members do, and I'm also on the board of the European Local Fiber Alliance, um, so our members there also build fiber networks all across Europe. Building fiber networks is expensive, it needs time, and it needs a lot of resources. However, fiber networks are the backbone for all the fixed and mobile networks, as well as 5G, um, and the services that the um, OTTs or service providers provide. So from our perspective, we look at it as a symbiotic relationship between OTTs and network operators. But like any symbiotic relationship, it has to be in a balance. And if there is an imbalance, um, then we feel like that needs to be remedied. Indeed, there could be an imbalance here. But potentially, if this proposal were to come, at what cost? This is something that the civil society community has been discussing in Brussels too. And I just want to bring in Thomas here from the digital rights group epicenter.work. So, of course, you have quite a strong opinion on this, Thomas. And you say that any of these types of plans to ask tech platforms to contribute more to telecommunications infrastructure could endanger the principle of net neutrality. Could you tell our EU confidential audience a bit about what this actually is and why you are so alarmed about it? Yeah, happy to. Thank you, Sam. So what has changed since this idea was last discussed in 2012 and 2014 is actually that the European Union adopted a net neutrality regulation. So these rights are now protected for every citizen. And this right means that we are free to choose the services that we want to use or offer on the internet. And it's a level playing field that puts everybody, the small and the big platforms and every consumer everywhere around the world, on the same level. And this is directly attacked by this proposal because interconnection is really what binds the internet together. And regulating interconnection is something that has only been done once in the world, and that's South Korea. And the experience there actually is horrible. Prices have gone up drastically and service quality has deteriorated. Mm. Alessandro, I'd be interested to see what you think about this. And indeed, you have raised your hand on that. Is this, in fact, some sort of a non sequitur here? Because I mean, why does a fair contribution have to engender, in Thomas's words, a threat to net neutrality? Isn't there a way you could preserve net neutrality as well as this idea of a fair contribution? I have uh, some reactions. The first reaction is about the tax idea that has been floated by the CCIA. I want to check the definition of tax, which is a compulsory contribution to state revenue. Now, I see why tactically the CCIA would like to use the tax argument, but what we have been asking for is definitely not about compulsory contribution to state revenue, but is about balance uh, in... In your pockets, right? You want the money in your own pockets. Do we interrupt each other or we finish sentences? Christian wanted to jump in there, but fill in your point, Alessandro, and we'll come back to Christian. Finishing my point, we have not been advocating for how a tax is defined in dictionaries, which is a compulsory contribution to state revenue, but we have been advocating for rebalancing commercial relationship. On the point of net neutrality, uh, let's not be mistaken. Net neutrality is there to protect users, citizens, not the business model of big tech companies. It's a different thing. 
Mm. Christian, Alessandro does have a point, actually, when we talk about terminology here, you know, calling this an internet tax. Indeed, Etna themselves have created terminology in the form of fair share. How important are these types of phrases in the ongoing debate going forward? And I'd like you to give you the opportunity of rebutting there some of the um, issues raised by Alessandro. Well, I can certainly understand why the telecom sector doesn't want to have a tax. They want their money directly in their pocket. They want to be paid twice at both ends of the internet cable. <laughs> I can understand that, right? They don't want politicians sort of meddling in, in where that money goes. Maybe it should go somewhere else, right? So I can understand why they don't want to call it a tax, but it will have the same effect because it basically just makes it very, very expensive to use online services. To the point about net neutrality, European regulators have warned before about the risk of market power abused by telcos. What happens if an online service cannot pay what a telco demands? Will the telco slow down the service or will it remove it from the internet? I mean, the very basic idea, the very idea of charging some online services but not others is by definition discriminatory. And of course, telcos have a clear interest in this, right? They're competing. You can either watch a movie on Netflix or you can download it from your, you know, your telecom operators as sort of video on demand service. You can either send a WhatsApp message for free, or you can pay the telco operators an SMS. So there are clear conflicts of interest uh, that we have to be concerned with here. Yes, but isn't this the case that the commission could seek to get commitments from the telcos that they wouldn't reduce capacity or speed as part of this potential proposal? But it's conceptually to say, I mean, they're, Ethno, they're pointing out sort of a handful of US companies saying they should pay, but not others. That is, by definition, discriminatory. Mm. That's an interesting point on the scope there as well. It's illegal to do that. So how could we do that if it's illegal to do that? So why are you calling Already for it? today, since 2015. What is not illegal is that the companies you represent who are wealthy contribute to IPN interconnection. It's getting heated here in the EU confidential office for sure. Um, Thomas, I'd like to bring in you here and then we will go back to Jan Niklas. Thomas, please. No, in reality, it is a contradiction to net neutrality. If you look at the historical record, it's not an internet tax. It's not fair or a fair share. It is sending party pace. It's the old model that was looked at and disregarded. So you are terminating a call in your network. That means you get money for basically making your customers reachable. And that is exactly what Etno is arguing for. And there is a reason why we have not adopted this model for the internet. Net neutrality currently allows all users to connect to virtually all endpoints. And it's actually the users that are creating this traffic. Meta or, or Amazon, they are not sending this traffic in European networks because it's funny for them. They are doing so because paying internet subscribers in Europe are requesting it with the data volume that they have bought from the telecom operators. So it is not a one party is creating an imbalance here. It is exactly how the internet is supposed to work. So the real reason why we are having this debate is because big tech is not paying their fair share in terms of taxes, in terms of avoiding taxes with every loophole. And that is a huge problem. I think we have to fix that. I think any revenue-based system, we can talk about that, but please don't mess up the internet by regulating interconnection. Okay, thanks for that, Thomas. Jan Niklas from the German Broadband Association, I'd like to bring you in here to respond to a couple of those points. So I think it's important to reiterate here that both the telco industry and the EU Commission have just recently like reiterated their commitment to the open internet principles and net neutrality. So I think the discussion on 
how this is going to affect net neutrality is significantly premature. Having an open-minded discussion about existing imbalances to further the digitization within the European Union to contribute to the EU digital decade and the Green Deal is not in itself um, violating or endangering net neutrality. We feel that if there is an imbalance, fair share contribution can benefit the rollout, the service quality of the end users, and ultimately also the reach for CCIA's members with regards to being able to provide high quality products to all end users on high quality networks, which still have to be built mm. in large parts of Europe. Yes, I'd just like to bring Christian back in here for a couple of those points. I want to answer to the point of the imbalance. I think there is an imbalance. I think the telcos are free riding. They're getting all these massively popular content and applications for free. These are the platforms that are investing billions in cool content, which the telcos get for free and they pass it on. Yes, they have to do the last mile and they pass it on with a big uh, surcharge to the end consumers. And as, as we look at the financials of the telcos, they're doing extremely well. So if there is an imbalance, it might as well be on the telcos that are free riding. If you look at the content and application providers, they're making massive investments in subsea cables, in content delivery networks, basically to bring the content closer to the end users. Sometimes they bring it like more than 90% of the way, and the telcos just handle the last mile, right? Yes, it is more expensive than the last mile, but the investments made by online platforms are enormous. Mm. Alessandro, just to pick up on that point raised by Christian there, I wonder if some of the telcos feel threatened by the fact a number of tech platforms are making their own investments into network infrastructure. No, I think that the internet ecosystem is growing, so everybody needs to invest. Uh, I remark that what uh, has been dismissed as just the last mile is what brings fiber to the home of 450 million Europeans. It's what brings 5G or 4G in the hands and the handset of 450 million Europeans. So, of course, that number in terms of investment is going to be so much higher. First, second, on undersea cable, uh, there is an important investment uh, from uh, big tech. We agree that this is an important investment. Let me also add that not from my perspective, but from the one of the commission, the EU is worried about that because laying cables is also about geopolitics. So just a couple of, uh, of uh, presidencies ago, they stimulated European players uh, to lay their own cable and do more. Thanks, Alessandro. Well, I'm sure we could speak about this um, for many, many more hours, but indeed we are coming to the end of this debate. I'd like to do a short round of perhaps closing statements, actually. We're expecting, indeed, the European Commission to open up a public consultation on these plans later on this year. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about what you will contribute to that debate. Let's start with Thomas. So we will make clear that any type of interconnection regulation is really threatening the core of net neutrality. And I hope that the Commission will also ask questions about what is the problem with broadband infrastructure, because it's not money. The real bottleneck right now is civil engineering and permits. So these things we need to fix. But please don't destroy the internet by regulating interconnection. It would be like selling a picture to afford a better frame. 
Please don't destroy the internet. How do you respond to that, Jan Niklas Steinheyer from the German Broadband Association? Well, I think everybody here, even though it might not have sounded like that earlier, agrees or tries to get the best out of the internet. But I think in order to get the best out of the internet, we have to have the most reliable and high quality infrastructure for the internet to run on. And um, that's the infrastructure that our members are building every day, fiber to the home infrastructures, which is the backbone for this entire discussion. We will strongly um, advocate that there shouldn't be any distortion of competition. The voice of alternative network operators has to be heard in this debate. And we're very open to discussing any and all solutions to the imbalance that we see currently. Thanks, Jan Niklas. Christian of the CCIA, as part of the upcoming consultations, what message will you seek to impart to the European Commission on behalf of some of these big tech platforms? Well, of course, I welcome the opportunity to comment if we get it. We will remind the Commission why this call from telcos for an internet traffic tax was rejected before, why the Commission was very much against it in the past, and why it should be critical of of this radical call in the future. We will explain that there is no evidence to justify this very radical proposal and also remind the commission and lawmakers that if you allow telcos to get this internet traffic tax to make internet users pay twice, well, then, of course, that will have clear consequences. Thank you, Christian. Alessandro Gropelli from Etno. Well, first of all, we will thank if the consultation comes out that uh, we have the possibility to express a view and that the debate has not been killed despite the attempts. The second one, it will be our core message that we want to avoid the tragedy of the commons on the internet in which one set of users, big tech, uses and depletes uh, the common resource internet without uh, contributing directly to it, as all the other users do by paying the bill. And finally, we will remind the net neutrality that it is there to uh, support and to defend the users, and it is not there to defend the business model on some tech companies. There we go. Well, thank you very much to everyone for that discussion. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this episode of EU Confidential. As mentioned, we'll be taking a few weeks off for the summer holiday, but do be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast so you receive our episodes once we're back every week. And we really love hearing from our listeners, so do email us with feedback or ideas for guests or topics. The email address is podcast at Politico. I'm Samuel Stolton in Brussels. Thanks this week to our editor, Tim Ross, our executive producer for audio, Cristina Gonzalez, and thanks to you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.